0: You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a 3 R film, criticism, show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordwell and I'm joined tonight by... Emma Westwood, just me. It's not just you. It, it's it's also you.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. But it's the the Thomas and Emma show. It tonight. is the
0: Thomas and Emma show. Yes. So Alexandra Helen Helen Nicholas, who has been absent for a few weeks now, is not with us. She will be making her triumphant return next week. Yes, which we're all looking forward to. And Cerise Howard had to bow out for tonight. So. It's just you and I, Emma. I reckon we can fumble I our way know. through this.
1: I know. I think we can. We've done it before, though, Thomas.
0: You and I have done a show yeah, together before, we haven't we? Have. Yeah, we
1: have. It was a while ago, but it was it was, uh, it was uh, our, our lovely, our, our du- duet, debut duet. There you let's go. Let's call it that. We, yes. we, we, we've done it. All right, let's get into <laughs> it.
0: We've got three films by women filmmakers tonight, uh, including the French cannibal film Raw and the new film by Australian filmmaker Kate Shortland, Berlin Syndrome. But we're going to start with Certain Women. This is the new film written and directed by independent American filmmaker Kelly Reichhardt. It's currently screening at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, along with three Reichhardt's previous films, in a season titled Certain Women, Kelly Reichhardt's America. Certain Women consists of three parts, each adapted from a short story by Maylie Melloy. The stories are all set in rural Montana and contain elements that overlap, but they are all essentially standalone stories. The first part features Laura Dern as a lawyer having to deal with a client who refuses to accept that his personal injury that his personal injury case is a lost cause. The second story features Reichhart's regular Michelle Williams playing a woman trying to build her dream home and feeling frustrated by the lack of support from her husband and daughter. And the final part features emerging actor Lily Gladstone playing a ranch hand who develops a strong connection with an out of town lawyer played by Kristen Stewart, who comes to teach a night class in town twice a week. So I might just throw my cards on the table, Emma, and say this was a highlight of me when I caught it at the very end of the year before ah. last year. Ah. Warren Greenings in in the show what was going to happen, no one was really too sure. What was going to happen. Really delighted to see Acme pick it up, and mm. and rewatching it was absolutely glorious. Made me actually go back and revisit some of Reichardt's other films, mm-hmm. ones which I haven't. Spirally, yeah, um, yeah, and even to watch the ones I hadn't seen before, and I am just now kind of in this absolute obsession with Kelly Reiterhart, <laughs> who has become one of my favorite contemporary filmmakers. I don't know why I didn't connect with one of two of her films a few years ago, but I am so, absolutely in love with. So you've her changed. Work.
1: You changed your mind about them after. Yeah, it was yeah. Wendy
0: and Lucy. I saw Wendy and Lucy with uh, two thousand eight when that first came out. And I didn't mm-hmm. think it was a bad film. I just didn't quite get the appeal of it. And mm, watching it again mm. over the weekend, I was just swooning for what a beautiful film it was. Wow, okay. Uh, but I think Certain Women's her best film yet. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts because yeah. this is the only one you've seen, isn't I know, it? I
1: know, I know. I think that uh reviews have been... Uh, th- the reviews have been... I just had a quick look at some reviews and I thought, oh, well, they're, they're remarkably universally glowing for this film. Um it's you know she's obviously a very much the darling of um independent cinema in America at the moment and has got such a a, a strong back head unaware of which is probably because it's not her t- her type of filmmaking is fit for me it's not what I would usually seek out so um I found the film to be i I had it wax and waned for me, I have to say, um I thought the she had a most amazing cast I mean really, that cast is
0: you can't do two too wrong with that. Well, I think Laura Dern, Michelle Williams and Chris stewart they're all incredibly interesting actors yes, who yep, are yep. always unpre-
1: Yeah, And also, though, I really love Jared Harris, who's um, the son of Richard Harris that I, I never realised.
0: I didn't know that but thank you for reminding me. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah who I think is just a sensational sensational actor and also I have a personal relationship with John Goetz. I've actually done a very, very long interview with him for a book I'm writing and he's just a charming, charming man. He played the um, sheriff in the Laura Dern story. Oh yeah, he's a lovely actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, He's really great. He was in The Fly. He was the third character in The Fly making up the the love triangle, so oh, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah, and he's a he's a delightful man, and he's very very funny, yeah. and he's a very seasoned actor. He also was um, he he sort of shot to we can't say stardom. He's more like a movie helper. Um, John gets with uh, the the Cohen brothers' first film, Blood Simple. He was uh, in yeah. the lead role of that, which was sensational. He was excellent in that. So I found that, and Renee. Auberjonois, who's just sensational. He was in the Michelle Williams story. Yeah. So I felt that the central story, basically, she gives a lot of air to her actors. Like there's a lot of room for them to work with. Um, I think that it's all there. I think that the opening sequence I loved with the train for example.
0: Yeah, trains are big in her films. And I love yeah. trains. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're big in my world too. I'm not on them that much but trains I love them dogs. in cinemas. She likes trains and dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I thought that, for example, the Michelle Williams story, I kind of zoned out a little bit with it. Didn't I felt that it's kind of the art of nothingness, really? These films, it's about getting into, or this film about getting into the psychology of the the characters without dialogue. Basically, And, you know, it's something that actors dump on and embrace and will want to do, especially with a good director. And I can see she is a good director and she knows what she's doing and she has an interesting visual style as well. And she gives them that air. But I don't think the material here was as strong as I would have wanted it to be.
0: Ah, it's mm. interesting because... You, you, you sound like my initial reaction when I saw Wendy and Lucy oh, really? all that time ago. Okay. And I didn't quite get what the fuss was. And somehow it just clicked into place for me over the course of this weekend. And and yeah. I think... I mean, she's often described as a minimalist director or a very naturalistic director. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people might call her film slow cinema. But I think she has a lot in common with the films of, say, the dardenne Brothers in mm-hmm. that they look almost accidental and kind of observational, fly-on-the-wall stuff. But they're so... Perfectly constructed and, and timed and, and framed. I um I got I, I get lost in her films. It was mm-hmm. they're not films you'd think of as comfort films, but I love the space in the atmosphere in the atmos of oh, yeah the atmosphere and atmos. are oh, the same thing. Um, <laughs> Um, I I just, yeah, I I do love the ambience of of these films and just these these kind of very gentle, small-town American stories. And even though they're often stories about people on the fringes or people going through hard times there's something just so seductive. I, I I find the time flies by with these films, including certain women. Yeah. I know what you're saying about the Michelle Williams segment and I saw it the first time extraordinarily tired and I doze in and out of sleep during that segment. But <laughs> Thanks for being it, honest. <laughs> yeah, well, it happens an awful lot during festivals with me. Um, <laughs> but watching it the second time, I actually think it's a very complex story. I think these are all stories about um, people chasing something Um, unobtainable Mm. Um, and not necessarily it's the the lead character either who is being is the one chasing something unobtainable so the the first story is about this notion of justice Mm -hmm. that is not allowed to the character who feels hard done by Mm -hmm. like the law is not being just so Mm -hmm. it's this it's this yeah very frustrated sense of this character cannot get the justice that they want and and i think the laura dern character is this lawyer is this this person who has to be sympathetic to this but also has to deal with the crap of this person constantly hassling her trying to save it and there's one very telling moment where you know a, a male colleague delivers news that um she's been delivering for months and being ignored over mm-hmm. um I think that the last segment is about um, somebody who, who forms. I suppose it's a crush. It's never quite identified, but it's it's a very.
1: I did like the way that it's never quite identified. You assume yeah, whether it's, it's romantic a crush. or sexual yeah.
0: or just somebody looking for somebody exciting in their life to take them away from the monotony. And
1: yeah, exactly. And
0: and it's not reciprocated because there's no circumstance for that to be reciprocated. Mm, mm, mm. Reciprocated. Yeah. <laughs> I think the middle segment is about the pursuit of authenticity in the most. Vague, ephemeral sense. So the Michelle Williams character wants to build this authentic home with all the, with, you know, with products from the area and, and, and she's trying to buy this Yellowstone from a, a man who clearly has some form of dementia and there's something just very ethically uneasy about the negotiation with this man. And why I think this is the most complex segment is your sympathies for her are constantly shifting. Like, Mm. she is being given a hard... You know, her her husband and her daughter are being horrible to her. We've seen what her husband has been doing in another segment of the film, so we know just how bad they've been treating her. But at the same time, there's something so slightly ruthless and cynical about her as well, the way she's dealing with this this elderly man. Mm. And Mm. I found almost... You know, minute for minute I was changing my mind about how I felt about this character and that's because it's a complex human being and I think Kelly Reinhart is really great at portraying complex human beings and all their follies and faults.
1: So do you think I could be suffering (laughs) from um, the initial uh, introduction to Kelly Reinhart syndrome? Look, maybe,
0: because it's definitely not the kind of stuff I would seek out as a rule either. I mean, Mm. these are kind of films I often think of as, well, I need to... I need to brace myself, it feels very worthy. It feels like a bit of hard work, but <laughs> just something snapped over this weekend, and like I said, I, I rewatched Wendy and Lucy. I went and watched old Joy, which i hadn 't seen before. I did see Meek's cut off when it first came out, which yep. is the western yeah, s- yeah. you know, western sort of that she did, and I love that. Mm-hmm. And I just completely, I mean, infatuated with her films now. And I, I think Certain Women is one of the most pleasurable experiences I've had in the cinema in the past year.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. There was, I felt it was, it got a bit too ponderous for me, but I, I hesitate <laughs> on saying slow because I... I Slow cinema, you know, that's kind of a, a, a strange... Slow cinema can be absolutely enthralling. So that's... Yeah. that's. I guess it's just the way you engage with the content. And uh, like I said, that, that middle segment was the one that I had the problem with, although the René Aubergenois, who plays that... Um, the husband
0: of Michelle Williams? No, no, yep. no he sorry. plays
1: the older man that she's... Um, that you said the negotiation where it was a little bit dodgy about yep. the sandstone and that... Um, His dialogue was incredible. I don't know how that was actually written, but I get the feeling that, as you have said, it it feels fly on the wall, but it is very heavily directed. And she seems to love a a kind of thing of backing cars and um, having the... I don't know. She's got an interesting way of shooting cars, someone looking over the the backing looking over the passenger seat and the camera in the back sort of shooting with the person looking forward and yeah. it's just interesting things that, that I haven't seen.
0: That pops up in a lot of her films, just yeah. the camera mount in the car following the car. And it sounds yeah. so boring but I don't know the way she does it. I just find electrifying.
1: Yeah, well, you're, bit, you're not I, the only one. I'm Thomas. a bit
0: evangelical tonight because yeah. I feel like <laughs> this yeah. filmmaker who I've always respected and known about. I kind of yeah, I've, I've been born again to her over this weekend watching all these films again. That's and great.
1: I'm very excited. That's great. Yeah. Look, that's maybe that's the journey that I've got to look forward to.
0: <laughs> I hope you get there. I hope, I hope so you, too. I hope you, you, you hear the word of Kelly Reichardt. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, if people are interested at me, have got a, a really lovely program. Um, so I mean certain women is getting a decent run. It's it's screening now. And if you go to the Acme website, they are got very limited screenings of Old Joy, Wendy and Lucy, and Meek's Cutoff, which really are the three must see films of, of hers. Um that's my opinion, but I think that's the, the the general consensus as well.
1: And and with that type of film, seeing them at the cinema, it's great. You don't get distracted by I don't know the kettle boiling and things like that.
0: You can just get, get, get just get lost in the small town American. Exactly the uh, minutiae.
1: The minutia or
0: the, minutia. Oh, nice and the one. space. Yeah, you can, you can feel the atmosphere and the moss. <laughs> You're listening to Plato's Cave with Thomas and Emma. This is three triple R.
1: You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia.
0: Raw is the debut feature film by French writer-director Julia Decorno. De, De Corno, thank you. It <laughs> premiered... Look, it's, it's an endearing quirk I have.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's lovely. Uh, apparently, I don't think I even pronounced it uh, well enough for Faith, who's uh, our podcast editor Faith, our here. podcast editor, and <laughs> French
0: speaker is having a fit. <laughs> role premiered last year in the International Critics Week section of the Cannes Film Festival where it won the Fipreski prize it first screened in Melbourne last November as the opening night film for Monster Fest. Now it's getting a general release and it arrives in cinemas with a lot of anticipation, strong word of mouth and tales of audience members fainting, du- fainting during some of its international festival screenings. The film is about Justine, a somewhat naive and nervous young woman who, like her parents and older sister, is a vegetarian and also, like the rest of her family, is going off to train at an elite vegetarian veterinarian school, a place where they teach people to become vets. (laughs) Uh, Once there, Justine is reunited with her sister and endures a series of hazing rituals that would put American colleges to shame. One ritual includes having to eat a raw rabbit kidney, and from there on, Justine begins to develop several new appetites in what is sort of a horror-slash-sexual-coming-of-age film, Emma, Mm. this film is a little bit more in your wheelhouse, isn't it?
1: I don't know about that, Thomas. I'm I'm not sure. You you might not
0: um, I'm not trying to to judge. (laughs) I'm not trying to judge. But you have recently moderated a highly entertaining and informative panel on this film I'm aware of. I hope it
1: was. I hope it was. That Cerise
0: Howard was part of as well. This happened a few nights ago.
1: that's correct. And it was uh, actually the advanced screening for the film um, the night before it opened on general release. So last Wednesday night. Last Wednesday, yeah. And um, the film, its Raw's an interesting little film because it comes from this, um, what Thomas was saying, this whole uh, sensationalist uh, build-up, which is when I, I actually first saw the film at Monster Fest, when, as you mentioned, when it was first played here, when Julia DeCorner was here actually to speak about the film and so forth. Um I went in thinking, oh, God, this is just going to be one of these button-pushing, whatever, and I was spectacularly surprised. I absolutely adored it and thought this is one of the fresher, most clearer-focused horror movies. It's um, in its horror, let's say, in its storytelling and in its message, it's it's so pronounced and uh, there's... No confusion. She's so clear-sighted, uh, Julia, in what she wanted to do with it. And um, and I think that really comes out on the screen. And this is a debut feature, we mu- must say that, because it's a highly accomplished film even for someone who's of someone like Kelly Reichardt's standard mm. who's made a lot of films. But this is Julia's first film and... She her actress in it is uh Gorance Morillier, her name is, and she's she starred in a short film uh, that Julia Ducorno made In 2011, I think she was about 12 then.
0: Yeah, they've grown up together, haven't they? Pretty much so, pretty much so. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and uh, the the film was called Junior and um, the character that uh, Garance played was called uh, Justine. So it's interesting that now in Raw she plays Justine again. So it's kind of this direct lineage and I think I even pointed out at the Q&A that... um, that at one stage on the wall of a party scene, it has "Junior is dead" written across the wall. So it's a direct reference to that, to that film. Uh, it's also uh, calling the character Justine was on purpose. It's uh, the referring to the Justine character from the Marquis de Sade's work, which was a character that was on. Um, a, on a virtuous path but was constantly being challenged uh, in her ideas of virtue and being thrown off course so this as you said a sexual coming of age film it's probably this film is more of a just a coming of age film it's actually about um the choices you make when you um when you're growing up and the type of person you're going to become and all of us have the darkness within that <laughs> we don't want to a lot of people don't want to be acknowledged but it is there and it's our decision as we're growing older and especially through puberty i think a lot of parents will recognize that uh the darkness does come out uh how these how teenagers will then process that and what they choose to become as adults uh, is really of their own own decision making. And this is with uh, with this character of Justine in Grants Marillier in in Raw. That's about her decision, and it's used by a rather overblown technique of cannibalism, showing how she wrestles with that concept.
0: I mean, so, yeah, I mm. came to this film pretty um, unaware, really of what the film was all about. I had heard all the sensationalist stories about people fainting, which I believe the director kind of rolls her eyes at and really doesn't want to be the focus. But I did mention it at the front to acknowledge the fact that that's kind of been some of the promotional vibe about this film. Yeah,
1: that's the first thing I heard too. Yeah, yeah.
0: and and I, I... I think I even saw it maybe at a Triple R screening. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Sorry, I take that back. I, I saw it at another thing. And um, and a lot of people came out of that saying that wasn't nearly as shocking or confronting as they were expecting. It wasn't the gore fest that they had been promised, and yet they absolutely loved it. Mm. There were And people were mainly talking about what a visceral kind of fluidy kind of – S- soundy, you know, flesh slapping it's, together kind of sound of these. It's it animalistic. It's and um, the yeah. kind of eroticism and sensuality of the film, which mm-hmm. is really full on. And you know, I love that kind of thing. Um, mm. there, there's only I'm, I'm doing. Okay. Oh no, I think this
1: is Thomas's edible side. <laughs> <I'm getting, laughs> which way will he go?
0: I'm getting over excited. Neither I'm Russ getting over excited. This is this is awful. I'm sorry. People are eating right now. There, there is um. <laughs> There was still one scene, though, that I had to do, the watching between my fingers, ironically. Okay. Um, there was one scene I found very tough to watch. but in The that bikini
1: abs- wax scene.
0: Uh, yeah, what what continues with that yes, scene. But yes. in that really delightful way, in that way that I relish from a good horror film yeah. where you're really enjoying how far it's pushing a scene. Yeah.
1: yeah. And,
0: yeah, it's that kind of lethal screaming. Yeah. Um, it I love this film. And and what I really what I really took from it was it's one of these films I think you can kind of layer your own meaning onto it. I mean, I think the idea of this cannibalistic behaviour representing um emerging sexual urges is sort of the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm that's there, that's definitely part of this film, but there is so much more going on. And the Mm -hmm. film itself, I think, really plays with what these moments do we take literally and what are highly symbolic and loaded? What moments are real? What moments are possibly fantasy or imagined? And the film... Constantly sort of toys with these with these levels of um, of yeah what 's my relationship to to the film at any one time, and yeah. I caught up with Philippa Hawker recently, who was on the panel you were with she, was, she, yes. she, she had wonderful things to say about you and cerise, and her, her, she was just saying it 's just such a now immediate film mm-hmm. um, and part of that visual visceral kind of energy about the film, everything about it it kind of resists so many traditional readings it just feels so immediate and mm. I, I thought that was quite an exciting way to describe it. Uh, the other thing I was going to throw out there is I, I think this is a director who, who knows her film history. I mean, there are some remarkable nods, I thought, to other films in there. Carrie being the obvious one. Yes, yes. But I think there's also a bit of a, a Cars at 8 Paris vibe in some of the scenes. Oh, really?
1: I haven't heard her say that. That's not saying that it's not not the the truth. But no, but it's um, something
0: that crossed my mind.
1: What other films do you think? Because I the, know of a couple of others. Okay. Well, the other mm. one
0: was the opening shot, I thought, was um, it felt very much like a direct reference to The Third Man.
1: Oh, really? But That's this, this, interesting. This might be yeah, stuff yeah, I'm yeah. bringing into it. Yeah, but I think she is very well, well-versed in cinema. There's um, This
0: is a film made by a fiercely smart filmmaker. She is. Yeah.
1: She's, a, she's a smart human being. She's yeah, very, you, very, you very you astute. You can tell
0: just by watching this film.
1: She's been mentored by, um, I think, the Marianne Venu, who's... Um, uh, a filmmaker. Can you remember a film it was actually shown at the French Film Festival a few years called Brighter Days Ahead uh, with Fanny Ardant. about she was sort of... Uh, oh, I don't, sorry, no. Uh, she was this older woman who, beautiful Fanny Ardant, who was put out oh, yes, to yes. pasture by her family because she's older now and she ends up um, you know, going to a U3 U3A kind of institution where she um, learns computer skills but instead decides to root the computer instructor who's half her age and it was really you know it was a great film actually it was very enjoyable but marion venu um directed that and she is the character that is the doctor when uh justine kind of starts when this animalistic stuff comes out of her she starts getting a bit of a rash and she is the doctor that has a chat to her and a nice little cigarette in the um the doctor's clinic yep. which apparently is something that uh, tweaks the fancy of uh Anglo-Saxon, American, and uh, English and Australian audiences rather than French audiences. But she, um, so she's been a mentor to her. So th- there's also the, uh, the the truck driver. He's another filmmaker. Um, the truck driver that's kind of comes along and says that strange story about bleeding pigs. They've got this.
0: I'd forgotten yeah, at the moment. Yeah, yes. yes. They've
1: got these really interesting sideline um, sideline characters in Raw that. Um, Nothing seems accidental, everything is just there. Although there are a couple of shots that are there for absolutely no reason at all but to look. Beautiful, And I think they stand out like, uh, pardon the pun, dog's balls because <laughs> everything is so purposeful within mm. the film. Um, I'm a big fan
0: of something being there just because just it looks great. Oh, yeah. I'm there's down a, with There's that. a couple of yep. shots,
1: the, the horse running and, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. But um, I think that, you know, not only does this show an amazing filmmaker on the rise that you go, what is she going to do next? And I don't think she is going to go away from the horror genre, but an actress in Garance. Really, I mean, this is. She mm. wasn't much beyond seventeen when she made this film, and it's just that is an astounding, astounding lead role. It's yeah. a, it's
0: a hell of a performance. Yeah. because it's it's really laying herself bare. I mean, literally in some moments. But yeah, that yeah. kind of physicalising, you know, this emerging.
1: Yeah, that kind of caused a
0: animalistic bit, urges. Caused yeah. a
1: bit co- uh, of controversy in our, our our screening. We had someone who actually
0: is it because she was underage when. The film was made. Yeah, or? yeah. Yep. She
1: made comments about that, but I don't think there's anything that is. I don't think that she's um, the, overly sexualized in an inappropriate manner. Put it that way, and yeah. it's all about this is body horror, so you have to get close. Yep. You know, and that's the thing about uh, well, the films that influence this Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: and The Fly. Yeah, yeah. Which is the film I've been writing about is something that really influenced her in the films of David Cronenberg. So
0: I mean, that makes an awful lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, you're
1: talking about (laughs) body horror. You've got to get up close. You've got to get right in there. And Mm -hmm. it's showing a transformation of her.
0: And also that that thin line between the human body, the animal body, the sort of the mechanical body. I mean, there's a lot of scientific kind of apparatus in this film manipulating both humans and animals i mean that's very cronenberg this sort of idea of um i can't believe i'm telling you what cronenberg's you you know a little bit more about me but what i always think about cronenberg is that sort of where does human start and the machine
1: yeah yeah or
0: where does human and the machine start and kind of fusing together these different ideas of body and and you know the, the possibilities of evolution and humanity hijacking its own evolution and exactly there's a bit of that vibe in this this, this film as well yeah yeah, and I yeah. think
1: it's interesting to have a think about it in terms of if you had a gender flip with the characters and you didn't have girls in the lead because so many of the storytelling elements really play on the fact that they're girls you know not that you know the, the, the bikini waxing scene maybe guys do bikini waxes they can you know there's no reason why not but there's just something about that that is so a coming of age for, for girls do you know what I mean it's a her and there's
0: particular details in that, that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean... And to
0: be specific. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and a sister, you know, plucking her monobrow, you know, sort of going, you've got hair there, you know, what are you doing? You haven't done your underarms and all this sort of... And the gorgeous yeah.
0: relationship between these sisters. Like I, I really it like is. the way it, that they kind of love-hate, you know, it's affectionate and they want to care for each other and this younger girl looks up to her older sister but they also drive each other crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think this film really nails that kind of sibling dynamic they as well had, really they, nicely. The
1: Ella Rumpf, who um, plays her sister, I think that they had a really lovely rapport going, which is, you know, I, I think that's the same thing with um, Maria uh, Garance, with, her, um, with Julia as well. They seem to, you know, as you said before, grown up together really. And this is, even though this is the debut feature film, there's a history that comes behind this yes. and you can see it playing out there on screen and the one one ma- masculine, the strong masculine character of the film, which is, oh, I can't say his name properly, Rabat Nate... Go, it, never stops,
0: never stops never stops it never stops me from trying. never stops me.
1: You make me look good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was, I thought he was sensational. Like he was so sort of vulnerable, but, you know, really manly and for them to play off that, you know, the feminine off that masculine <laughs> It was great.
0: And so telling that, you know, the, the kind of the closest to the male love interest in the film was a gay man. Yeah. And that that kind of sexual fluidity was sort of taken as a given in this film as well. I, I think it's a very progressive and very, again, it's a very now exactly, film. Exactly,
1: very now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Raw is on limited release right now. We've all been bowled away by it. I mean, I I know for a fact both Cerise and uh, Alex Alex would love to have been on the show to talk about it tonight. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I think it's a film that, you know, even if you come out going, what is that? There's a lot to talk about. I think the, the, uh, the discussion afterwards, the coffee afterwards uh, post-screening will always be an interesting one. So it's worthwhile taking your parents along as I did. <laughs>
0: oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You're brave. Three, triple, ah oh. Berlin Syndrome is the new Australian film directed by Kate Shortland, who previously directed Somersault in 2004 and Law in 2012. It's an adaptation of the 2011 novel of the same name by Melbourne writer Melanie Deuston, and it stars Theresa Palmer as Claire, a young Australian backpacker who, after arriving in Berlin, hooks up with a friendly local schoolteacher named Andy, played by German actor Max Reimelt. And by hooked up, I mean, you know, they hooked up. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll with being weird and you, inappropriate tonight.
1: Did you really need to explain no, that? But anyway, I, I just
0: thought it, it, it sounded really friendly, the way I put it, like that th- they met and had Hi. coffee and, yeah, went for a...
1: Cheers.
0: Went to Amsterdam and yeah. run, run amongst the tulips. <laughs> anyway, she, she, she gets it on with uh, Andy, this German guy. Um, however, it's, it's soon... <laughs> see, now it's your turn. Yeah. However, it soon becomes apparent that Andy (laughs) has far more sinister intentions and Claire finds herself in a nightmarish situation. I just completely destroyed the kind of mood I was building there. But I, Emma, I went to see Berlin Syndrome knowing next to nothing about it. I love Kate Shortland's previous film, Law, and so I didn't know what kind of film this was and found it quite a a white-knuckled experience. What what did you... How did you experience Berlin Syndrome? Yeah,
1: I think it was... A thrilling thriller. It was very much a white-knuckle experience. Um, I was incredibly impressed with Teresa Palmer. I thought she was in- incredible in it. I this, think this
0: is above and beyond the best she's ever done. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, recently people probably will know her from Hacksaw Ridge, mm. the Mel <laughs> <laughs> we love mentioning we sure. yeah.
0: the film. You and I always say, "Let's not talk about yeah, it," and, and then we not-
1: talk about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she did play uh, Andrew Garfield's character's wife in it, so you know the central female character. Uh, She's. This is a really harrowing role. I mean, the 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 emotional exhaustion she must have felt by playing this role. And what really struck struck me. I mean, it's a it's a, a hostage film basically, or a you know, is a hostage not a right word? They're not. He's not asking for money for it. No, so. I'm not too
0: sure what you call this. I've discovered that Hidden my my, my thing, sister's yeah. partner refers to a group of films as the people kept in the basement film.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that and genre
0: I think, of people prisoned somewhere and. It's not a basement, but, yeah, she's kept as a prisoner.
1: It's interesting because I know that, you know, this isn't uh, something that's solely um, a German thing, but there was a couple of famous cases of this happening in Germany and people being kept for a a number of years. Um, I did think that the, the title was hinting towards something. Do you know what I mean by saying that, Thomas?
0: I don't know. I'm debating whether I tell you I don't or whether I just nod and say of course. Uh, No, I don't. Okay,
1: all right. Um, I thought – I'm not going to say it because I actually thought it was going to pan out a certain way that it – didn't not that the end was necessarily surprising and that's not what you it hinges on i don't think it's about the twist end or anything like that but i'll mention it to you after the show i think i've actually just got I mean? it
0: and that's a very smart observation and now yeah. i feel dumb
1: okay no don't don't feel dumb that's right. um, I'm just being nice to you. Thank you. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but I, I thought her, especially her reactions were very um, appropriate. So you know how sometimes you watch these sort of films and you go, what?
0: Yeah, that, that they, you know? they weren't movie character reactions. No, yeah. no.
1: And they were very logical Reactions, and I think they she worked with time, the unfolding of time, very well. Also, we've already used the word minutiae, mm-hmm. but this film has you is have. a lot mm-hmm. about the minutiae. <laughs> The minutiae of the world. But as a tourist, um, her arriving in Berlin, and it's that experience of being a, a tourist, especially one by yourself, where you and first time traveller, that's the impression that you're given, um, that everything is so new and just seeing the detail of things. And it's a film that's very much told in macro, like really up close, um, dirty fingernails right in close on fingernails and things like that. Uh, and then when she her world becomes remarkably smaller in terms of being just stuck in a, a very small apartment, um, that detail becomes really important. And looking at that detail, I think that it is that it's not an unusual setup for a film where we're sitting there going and the audience will be looking for ways that she can get out um, and there may be some holes that you can pick. I mean, I think people can always pick holes in these sort of films going, why didn't she do that? Why didn't she do that? But I don't think that's to the detriment in, in this film at all. Um, I was just really impressed because I I, I've, I didn't see law, um, Kate Shortland's law, but I did see Somersault and I think this is a huge leap Somersault forward for her <laughs> in terms of her filmmaking.
0: The, it's less self, It's far less self-conscious. Yeah, the somersault. Far, I think that was my yes, problem with somersault. Yeah.
1: Yes, but there was towards the end of this film as a, I felt, oh, this slow mo. She's going too much with this slow mo. It was kind of like she was just in the directing a little too in love with the the ethereal feel that um, the slow mo gave, and it was becoming a little bit too. Pretentious, I guess, for me. That was my biggest. Oh, you my, got that with this one. Yeah, okay. yeah. That was yep. my my biggest problem with it. When I say problem, I loved it. So yeah. you know, I, that's just nitpicking and just finding a stylistic flaw in it for me.
0: What I the thing that was lingering on my mind as this film ended was how successfully this worked, basically as a genre film. How true it was to this genre, mm-hmm. and yet it feel like it subverted conventions and expectations every step of the way, in a way that really showed us, I think, what a talented filmmaker Shortland has, has evolved into. Um, I mean, yeah, I think Law is astonishing. Um, I I didn't love Somersault, but I heard her speak a little bit after that and that hearing her speak made me want to go back and revisit Somersault oh, okay. because she spoke really well. Mm-hmm. Again, a fiercely intelligent, intuitive filmmaker. And um and I think yeah, Berlin syndrome it, it, it focuses on the character and the experience rather than the plot mechanics. So it actually mm. passes over a lot of kind of what will be key plot points now the films and it lets you fill in the gaps in your head. And I love the fact it kind of move very fast over redundant plot points. Mm. Because, you know, the, the, the kind of intricacies of how she works out certain things is is not what this is film is about. It's about her experience. And, you know, a lot of the film, you're, you're sort of wondering, where is she at mentally right now? Is she controlling this situation? Is she starting to go nuts is is she experiencing Stockholm syndrome is she giving in is this part of an act and at no point did I ever feel it was kind of cheap or manipulative it mm. was just like this is somebody going through enormous trauma yep. a very strong person but a person going through a lot of trauma and I was completely with the film and the way it portrayed how she responded mm-hmm. I think most importantly the male gaze is absent in this film
1: it is actually except yeah. through the cap, um those Polaroids
0: yeah, but even then, it's sort of at a distance. It's a little bit blurry. There's mm. nothing kind of, you know, leery or gross no, about No, it. no,
1: it's not. No, this no, is no.
0: a genre where you often get, you know, the woman in, in her underwear tied to a chair and even split, which we all sort of liked as a guilty pleasure. There was a lot of, you know, very young women stripped in their underwear wandering around in that film. And, and this kind of, you know, this had scenes of, of of a sexual nature and often very abusive sexual nature, but it, it refrained from doing all the clichés you see in cinema connected mm, to the genre yeah. you know the camera will just blur slightly or it will just reposition slightly it, you are being denied that gaze of his so this yeah. is a, such a rare case of a film of this subject matter where it's about her I think room did it very successfully as well mm. the um which which you know which was my favorite film from last year I think that that is a, a astonishing film I'm, I'm mm. a bit kind of blown away that now room and Berlin syndrome are two films about this topic which I think are excellent
1: yeah, yeah. um
0: but I think it's because they're yeah they're subverting that kind of sleazy sensationalist. Yeah, I think you get. I
1: still think it's interesting that you say that because I think you take a you do take away the sleaziness of it, but it isn't shown in that way. It's just that you've the, our minds fill in the gaps. It's what it's the the persuasion of the the cinematic style and uh, but the film uh, her itself directing. is not sleazy. No, 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 yeah, no, not at all. At I didn't no feel that at all. At no point do we
0: enjoy complicitly what's happening. No, no. Yeah.
1: It's a cautionary tale. Um, just beware of the good-looking benevol- benevolent stranger. Uh,
0: See, I don't know. <laughs> See, that's my other fear of films like this is The Extremists They Taken, the Liam Neeson film, which is such a hysterically <laughs> yes. right-wing, don't send your daughters to Europe because they'll be sold <laughs> in sexual slavery kind of nut nutbag film. And I, I just didn't get that vibe from this film.
1: No, it's just sort of uh, um, it, it's it's subtly there. But I think that you know there were a few mistakes that she made, and she yep. was very gullible. But th- that was the idea that she was a but very there were wide human ed- mistakes. Yeah, there were human mistakes. There you was know.
0: zero kind of victim blaming. Where well, we're taking yeah. is all victim blaming, like you know,
1: yeah, exactly. taking the
0: daughter goes against the father's wishes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes I mean, to it's Paris, it's the, a cautionary tale, <laughs> like Wolf Creek is a tale tale. I mean, yeah. you know, Wolf Creek can be a bit of a documentary, really, if there, there's a few weirdos out there in the middle of nowhere, so be careful, backpackers. We're, we're <laughs> going to leave tonight with you saying
0: Wolf Creek is a documentary. <laughs> Emma.
1: You'd be surprised. <laughs> But, I, yes, I loved Berlin Syndrome. I think it was oh, excellent. Oh, great. I did yeah. too. I yeah. think
0: it's excellent. I, I've loved all three films tonight. This has been one of the more exciting shows for me. I can tell. I love getting <laughs> You know, as in I'm enthusiastic. Stop it. <laughs> Let's get out of here before I say anything else that <laughs> sounds wrong. <laughs> Certain Women is currently screening at the Australian Centre of the, for the Moving Image, courtesy of Park Circus. ACME will also be doing limited screenings of three of Kelly Reichhart's previous films as part of their Certain Women, Kelly Reichhart's America season. Raw is on limited release, courtesy of Monster Pictures, and Berlin Syndrome is on limited release, courtesy of Entertainment One Film. Uh, You've been listening to Thomas Cordwell and Emma Westwood here on Plato's Cave. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.